So we're going to uh, press towards our theme here today. And we're going to do so out of Acts chapter 20. So if you'd like to go ahead and turn there, we'll be there in just a few minutes. Uh, about 14 months ago, we were in this text up through verse 21. We're going to go through verse 24, and primarily that's where we'll spend most of our time today. But uh, I want to share a thought with you we're going to call here on the dotted line. Okay, on the dotted line. So in light of Memorial Day weekend here, just had my mind thinking about some things. Anybody have any Memorial Day plans? Like what are you doing because it's Memorial Day weekend? There's a par- okay, going to a parade? A service? Okay. Anybody else do anything for Memorial Day weekend here? Yes. Going to grandma's house, and so it's time for family to get together sometimes. Right? What else do we use Memorial Day weekend for? Maybe that it's not intended for, but it kind of has become that. Okay, so like neighborhood, like a barbecue or something like that, cooking out, that kind of got associated with Memorial Day. Ma'am? We did a yard sale this week, and yard sales are kind of connected with Memorial Day in this area. All right, so we got to see that firsthand. Uh, I think about pool parties. A lot of people open their pools about this time of year, right? So school's getting out, and it's time to open the pools up and start swimming for the summer. Uh, what about sales? You guys been shopping any this weekend? You know, the Memorial Day flyers, and you get them in your mailbox or maybe on your inbox and your email and everybody's got everything on sale right now and if you and I don't if we don't go shopping we're just foolish because of everything that's marked down so much right um, what about there's car shows this weekend motorcycle rides golf tournaments um, you name it there's all sorts of stuff that gets connected with Memorial Day weekend and uh, for a lot of us it's what's called the unofficial start of summer right uh, so we know that that's not the in, intent of the day, right? Memorial Day is tomorrow. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, there's a lots of other activities that kind of get wrapped up in that. But Memorial Day is when we take time to remember the men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice, laid down their life for their country. And I hope that you'll take some time, if you haven't already, throughout your weekend to just to meditate on that a little bit, to contemplate, just to look up again some of the sacrifice that's been laid down in previous wars, the hundreds of thousands of people who've died, so that not only us today, but people around this world could live in the freedom that they enjoyed uh, as well. So I hope you'll take time to do that. Maybe as you've mentioned already, participate in a parade or a special service, something just to guide our mind back that direction. And uh, as I was thinking about these things, it just made me think about all the hundreds of thousands of men and women who have signed their name on the dotted line, right? So that's what we're talking about today. On the dotted line, it's about putting your name there. You've heard that expression before? Just sign on the dotted line. And so in the military, they have a line that they sign. And I've never been in the military. Some of you have, and so you'd know this better than I do. Um, but I did some research on this, how this works today anyway. Maybe it didn't work this way when you enlisted. But basically today, here's how it works. A young man or woman can go to an enlistment office and they fill out a pack of papers and they take their initial oath. And for many of them, they can then have a period of time 
And then they'll come back and they'll sign the last page, which is like putting their name on the dotted line. And they'll take their second oath, which essentially means there's a song that says, you're in the army now, you're no longer behind the plow. You guys have heard that? All right, so you have essentially become property. You're eligible for all of the benefits and the pay of being in the military, but you're also responsible for the oath that you just took. And so from that point forward, it's a lot different process from what I understand if you want to get out. So when you fill out most of your paperwork, take your first oath, you don't have to show up and you can get out uh, if you wanted to. But once you sign that dotted line and take that second oath, you're in. And to get out, it's a whole different process. Okay? And so putting your name on that line, it comes with some significance. Like it's something that we definitely want to think through. And here's kind of the oath that they take. Maybe you took this as well. It says, I, and then you'd fill in your name, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations in the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. All right, so that is a good picture of what we're going to talk about today. The idea of our theme is submission. All right, when you think of the word submission, what comes to mind? What does it mean to submit? We talked about this at our Bible study this past Wednesday a little bit. What's it mean to submit? Okay, so to follow or to give in. I heard another one. Surrender. <laughs> All right, surrender to him, I think is what I heard, right? Okay. <laughs> the Ephesians 5 passage there. We surrender back, men to women, right? Ephesians 5.21, we reminded ourselves of that too. But What else? When you think of submission, anybody got anything? Obey, okay. Obey everything. So nothing is optional at that point. All right. Very good. So you're right on track with what it means to be submissive. All right. So if you looked it up in a dictionary, it would say to yield or surrender oneself to the authority of another. To yield or surrender oneself to the authority of another. And just as a side note, I was thinking through this here. Um, I think submission is a pretty good apologetic for free will. Right? The Bible talks about submit to the Lord. And if I have the choice to submit, it also means I have the choice to what? To not submit. So when the Bible calls me to be submissive, then that means I have the freedom of the will to choose or reject Christ. And some people say, no, it's forced. Well, forced is not submission, it's coercion. You ever been forced to do something against your will? I know you have. Clean your room, eat your peas, right? Feed the dog, whatever. Made to do something that you didn't want to do. Uh, I think of like TV shows where you see like uh, maybe someone who's a suspect brought into a back room and a detective is really putting them through it. You know, they shut the door and they're getting really vocal and kind of violent and they're beating the tables and they're saying, if you don't confess to this, then you're going to get prison and you don't have any clue what prison's like. It's going to be better to be dead than to be in prison. They're trying to force this person to come clean with something that maybe they didn't even commit. And a lot of people have admitted to doing something they didn't do just because of all the pressure. That's coercion. That's not God. All right? God doesn't put pressure on you, do this or else. 
God has worked to woo and to win, to draw our hearts, and he's called us to be submissive. And so submissive means I yield. Submission means I surrender. Uh, and you surrender as well. Our authority to that of, of another. Now, every time you find the word submit in the New Testament, it comes from this Greek word. You know I'm not a Greek scholar, all right, um, whatsoever. Those two words would never even touch, all right, Corey Penn, Greek scholar. So I rely heavily here on, on men who are way beyond uh, my abilities. But the Greek word is this. It's hupotasso. Can you say that? You can't, huh? Hupotasso. I'll say it for you. All right, the word hupo means under, and the word tasso means to arrange. So under and to arrange. And hupotasso really is a military term. And what it meant was where you would have the commander of an army, he would work to arrange his troops, his division, in a very specific way. Right? So they would submit, the soldiers would submit to the leading and of the planning of that commander. So hupotasso, submission, is a military term. So I thought it was really fitting for kind of our weekend here. But it's also fitting as we think about what it means to submit to God. It means I'm going to arrange myself under the viewpoint of God. So rather than living my life according to Corey's view, I then choose to submit and to live under my commander's viewpoint. Arrange my life the way that you see fit or the way that you see best. So hupotasso, submit is what we're talking about here this morning. All right, so Acts 20 is where we're going to be. If you're there already, um, you'll find here Paul is trying to make his way to Jerusalem. And he's in a hurry. He's trying to get there um, for the feast, and he wants to be there for the celebration. But he's going to make a couple stops along the way. And one of the places he's stopping is, it's either Miletus or Miletus, uh, something like that. But you'll find there when he ports with his ship, he invites the Ephesian elders to meet him there. And he wants to just share some last words with them. And he tells them, listen guys, this is the last time you're going to see me. And I know that for a fact. Alright, so just you press on with the church there. You shepherd well what we've entrusted into you. You love those people that God has put under your care. Uh, but right in the middle of his kind of last words to these Ephesian elders, he's got some counsel, kind of a, a statement of his life that he wants them to remember him by. And that will be verse 24, and, and we'll, we'll read to that here uh, this morning. So follow along if you'd like here. Acts 20, verse 18 through 24 says, When they arrived, he said to them, uh, this is Paul to the Ephesian elders, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. He says, You know my life. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem and not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, which is the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. All right? Now, how would we respond if we thought, if we knew that prison and hardship was facing us where we were headed today? Would we still go that direction? 
Or would we try to steer clear? I think sometimes we're like water. We try to take the easiest route possible, right? We want to avoid obstacles. And yet when there's a call in your life, it's clear what God's asking you to do. There's courage, there's confidence, there's joy walking forward in it, even though there may be some hardships. And so we're looking at that today. What's it look like to really submit to Jesus? What's it mean to take my life and sign it on the dotted line? And we'll hopefully come with uh, some good answers for that today. So if you'd like to follow along here in your bulletin, you can. Number one will be this. Submission to Jesus, it's going to require us to consider the cost of following Him. It requires us to take some time and to think things through a little bit. As I mentioned earlier, the process now for joining the military for a young man or woman, 18 to 25, is they come in, they fill out some paperwork, and they take their initial oath. It's their first swearing in. And from that point, many of these work through a program that makes them called DEPERS, D-E-P-P-E-R-S. Were any of you DEPERS? A DEPER today is someone who comes through the process through a delayed entry program. So it's the people who may be graduating high school and they have gone maybe this past week to sign some papers and to be sworn in, but they're not leaving until August or September. There's kind of a window here where they can consider the decision that they've made. And that's wisdom, don't you think? I think for most people who have the freedom to make that choice, that's probably the biggest choice that young man or woman has made in their life up to that point. Would you agree? I mean, Hardee's, McDonald's, military or college. I think those are two very different decisions to make. And I'm not saying that those are the biggest decisions they make, thinking of colleges or relationships, things of that nature. But this is a massive decision because it's going to impact the rest of your life. And so they give them this kind of grace period now to consider what they're doing. Think about what it means to put your name down on that dotted line. Think about what it means to take that second oath, to become responsible to what that oath demands of you. Think about what it means to put your name on the dotted line. And it's, it's wisdom. And Paul here is somebody who's done that exact thing. And so let's look at it here. In verse 24, he says, However... Right? He just said, I know the Spirit is telling me everywhere I go, I've got prison, I've got hardships. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. How do you get to the point where you say, I consider my life worth nothing to me? You have to consider your life, right? You have to consider the value of your life. You have to consider what matters to you in this life. You have to consider what you want to get out of this life. And so Paul spent much time thinking about the call in his life, what the cost would be to follow Jesus. And then Jesus himself did this same thing. And he encouraged people to do this as well. Like the idea of signing our name, and we talked about this maybe this past winter. Signing our name on something when we don't know all of the details of it would be foolish, right? I remember we talked about going to buy a home, but you wouldn't know how long you were going to borrow for that home. And you wouldn't know all the terms of that home loan. Would you go in and just sign it? Nobody would do that. It's 50% interest. It's for 50 years. Would you sign that mortgage? No way. That's foolish. And so we don't just walk in randomly and just sign things. We've got to think about it. So Jesus wants us to do the same things as being his followers. And here's some examples of that in Luke chapter 14. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot what? 
They cannot be my disciple. Listen, Peace Church, we're trying to be disciples making disciples. And what Jesus makes clear is, if we don't meet this criteria, we cannot be His disciple. So the cost of following, He's saying you've got to consider the cost. You say, I thought God's a God of love. Now you've got God and the Son here saying hate. Well, the idea here is contrast. Where our life is sold, submitted completely to Jesus, it doesn't mean that you hate these people. It means that you love them because you love Him first. He's your priority. And because you love Him, then you'll love them as you and I are supposed to. If anyone doesn't do these things, we can't be His disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. Right? So these sound a little bit harsh here initially. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? You know, I think instead of saying estimate the cost, couldn't we say consider? That's what we're talking about here. Sit down and consider the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. That sounds like wisdom. For if you lay the foundation, you're not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. He says, that's foolish. Why start something if you're not committed to seeing it through? Right? Jesus isn't looking for people who say, I want grace, but I don't want to follow you. I want to be forgiven, but I don't want to submit to you. I want heaven because I don't want to go to hell. He says, I'm not looking for those kind of people. The people who are my disciples have to meet a certain criteria. There's requirements. There's a cost. And so you've got to consider it if you're going to follow it. He's going to go on to say in verse 31, or suppose a king's about to go war, to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? That sounds like wisdom. Think about it. If he's not able, then he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give everything you, up everything you have, you cannot be my disciples. And so Jesus is not a sugarcoater. He doesn't just lay things out here for us and then try to snatch us kind of on the fine print. Kind of how Satan does, right? Isn't that what Satan says to Adam and Eve? Oh, you won't surely die. You'll just have the knowledge of God. And that's the bold. Satan tries to magnify the indulging of the, of the sin or magnify the indulging of that pleasure. But when we turn that paper over and we use Scripture as the magnifying glass, what we see there is, the fine print says, and when you give in to this, I'll take you straight to hell with me. Right? He puts all this in fine print. He just tries to magnify what's good, minimize what's not. Jesus puts everything out there very clearly. Here's the cost. He also talks a benefit, and we'll get to that in a minute. But we've got to consider, we've got to consider the cost. And so if we're going to sign our name on the dotted line, we've got to think about reason through what it's going to look like for us to follow Jesus. I think this is one of the struggles we have in American culture with American church today. I think we've got a pretty easy believism. We've got a cheapened grace. And that's probably due to some faulty teaching and preaching from pastors like myself where we throw out the love of God and we throw out the grace of Christ and that it's for all people and all you have to do is receive this without telling them that there is a cost to consider. Now paying the cost doesn't earn the grace of Christ. But for someone who's going to follow Jesus, there is a demand. There is a cost. And so he says, think about it. Right? 
He gives other examples. People said, hey, I'll follow you, but first let me go take care of my family. Jesus said, no, you're not going to follow me. You don't have the heart. Your heart's somewhere else. It's like saying, yeah, I want your forgiveness. I just don't want to live my life for you. Jesus said, I got no time for you. That's not what I'm looking for. We've made everything about us. When from what I understand, Jesus says we're to make everything about who? About him. I mean, wasn't it Luke and the other gospel writers also chime in and say, if anyone's going to be my disciple, you must first deny yourself. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had. Some of these I've had in just the past few months. Talking about church and what I need out of church. And you have these conversations that say, well, I need this and I want it to be like this. And this ought to be, and it's just about me, 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 me. And what I want to say in return is, didn't Jesus call us to deny me? Well, I need this music, or I need this kids program, or I need this kind of teaching, or I need this kind of fellowship. Didn't Jesus call you to die to you, to live for him? See, we've got this cheapened grace that says, I want the free stuff and everything to be meeting my need, rather than you've got to die to yourself, and you've got to follow whatever the cost. Wasn't it Paul who said in Galatians, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore what? I no longer, I no longer live. Being a follower of Jesus is costly. It requires everything about our life. My hopes, my dreams, we sung about it this morning, right? That second verse of, now I belong to Him. He's my master. He's bought me with His blood. I no longer have any say-so. So however you want to lead, I'll follow. Whatever you say for me to do, I will do. I've got to die to me. And that's one of the challenges we face today. You know, it's funny. I'll see people I haven't seen in years. You know how I get introduced to their family and friends? This is my pastor. Like, what? <laughs> I might as well be your president. Like, I've never seen you in three years. And yet I'm your pastor. I don't know if they're a Christian or not. I don't have the say-so over that, and I certainly don't want the say-so. What I'm saying is that's an easy believism. I've got the free stuff without considering the cost of being committed to Jesus Christ, and if I'm committed to Him, I am sold to you, which means I'm committed to you, which means we're united in this thing together. Paul talks about how we've been gifted for the benefit of one another. And so when you show up committed, you're benefiting me. When I show up committed, I'm benefiting you. Membership matters. Right? Showing up week in, week out matters because it's not about me. First it's about Him, but then it's about what I can bring to offer you and what you bring to offer one another as well. So there's a cost. Is it costly? Yeah, and a lot of people don't want to pay it. You've seen the slogan, maybe heard the expression, I love Jesus, I just hate the church. Really? Really? I mean, it seems odd. Doesn't that seem like an oxymoron? Wasn't it Jesus who said that I lay down my life for my bride? Greater love is no one than to lay down their life for someone. I lay down my life for the church, and so I have great love for the church. How can you say you love me when you don't love my church? Like That doesn't make sense in God's perspective. That doesn't jive with God's Word. And yet this is the truth. We've got to lay this out. There is a cost to following Jesus. 
And yet we grow in our understanding of this. Maybe as we mature, we get more and more devoted. We understand better what it means to be submitted. But to say, I want forgiveness without following Christ is foreign to the Scriptures. And so we've got to consider the cost of following Jesus if we're really going to sign our name on that dotted line. Submission to Jesus here, secondly, it's going to make sense in light of the gospel of grace. Now you can breathe. All right? It makes sense in light of the gospel of grace. And so when we think about the cost of something, it can sound heavy. You ever done a cost analysis on something? Sure you have. Is it worth it to pay whatever? If we're going to pay $10,000 for a car, is it worth it to pay that? You and I will pay it if we deem that it is worth it. Right? We would say that, that yes, it costs something, but the outcome or the good is better than the cost. Okay? Following Christ costs something. Yes, your entire life. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him every day. What you have to weigh out then, is it worth it? What Jesus here is laying out through Paul is that there is a grace and there is a mercy that makes it entirely worth it. And so when you think of the cost, it may seem heavy, but when we think of the grace, it can make it seem light. What have we received as the result of becoming a disciple? What have we received as a result of dying to ourselves, of hating mom and dad and wife and brother and sister? What have we received in return? What have you received for grace? Or in grace? You've received forgiveness, have you not? You've received salvation. You've received a Holy Spirit who is just on task. He is at work in you and He is ready and able to supply and fulfill every promise that God has made for us here in our day and age. And He lives in you and He's transforming you and He's renewing you and He's offering you peace and comfort. He stirs your hope. He grants you strength and confidence. He gives you clarity to make good decisions. Right? You've gained purpose and significance to life. You've got a hope beyond death that's assured. Like when you look at the pros of being a disciple of Jesus versus the cost, the cost is minimal. Right? It's like buying a million dollar house for a quarter. Would you make that investment? I bet you would. I bet we could all pool our money together and come up with a quarter to buy a million dollar house because we would say it's worth it. Everything that comes is the benefit of grace. Makes the cost seem just simple. We look at it going, really? That's all that you're asking of me? That's all he's asking because that's all we can bring. Everything that I am, I am yours. We sang it this morning that when he is my portion in him, I find everything that I need is my joy is what makes me glad. And Paul had found everything that he needed, everything that he needed when he submitted his life to Christ. It doesn't mean that his wallet was fat and exploding with money. It doesn't mean all of his friends just thought the way he believed was right. Everywhere he went, he found prison and hardships, but he had a joy that was untouchable by prison and hardships and all these Jewish opponents who were against him. He says it's worth it. It's worth it. It makes sense in light of the gospel of grace. Here it is. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. That's saying it's worth it. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. You know people who testify about the good news of God's grace? 
It's people who have received the good news of God's grace. You've got a story to tell. I once was guilty, but I'm no longer condemned. I am free in Christ. I'm forgiven. Right? My God has chosen to forget my sin. Has He done that for you? My God has chosen not to hold me accountable for the things that I've done because of what His Son Jesus has done for me. Has He done that for you? My God has given me a peace that's going to sustain me and has sustained me when I was broke, when I was homeless, when I was jobless, when I felt all alone, when I was battling a disease that was supposed to take my life. My God was very present and He helped sustain me through all that. Is your God doing that for you? I mean, people that can testify to the goodness of God's grace are people who have experienced it. And so Paul says that here. My task is just to tell how good He's been to me, what He's done for others as well. And that's what I'll do. I'll talk about His grace even if it requires my life. So in light of what Christ had done to Paul, Paul says the cost is just really not much to consider. Yes, consider it, but then make a good decision. And for Paul, he would say to follow Jesus is much better than to reject Him and walk away. Now, sometimes this happens quickly. and Sometimes this is a matter, a process of time. I remember my grandma Penn. Prayed for her many, many years and she became a believer when she was 80. Lots of conversations there later in life, you know, between 75 and 80. Trying to understand things and what does this look like and praying for her and she starts attending church and asking questions and for her it just finally makes sense that she will, she'll follow Jesus. Remember the story of Lee Strobel. You guys remember Lee Strobel, one of the investigative reporters for the Chicago Tribune. Wife becomes a follower of Jesus, starts attending Willow Creek Community Church up in the suburb of Chicago. And he thought he had lost his wife to some kind of alien organization. He was going to do everything he could to win his wife back, to get her out of this cult. And so he spent the next three years of his life working to disprove Jesus, working to disprove the New Testament, working to undermine the authority of the resurrection. And at the end of it, guess what happens? Lee Strobel becomes a believer, right? That was a three-year process for him to get to a point where he considered the cost and says, it makes sense in light of the evidence to follow Christ. It takes more faith to reject Him and walk away than it does to believe that He actually lived and died and was resurrected. So it's different for different people. Think about the disciples. Jesus was on the beach and He called out to them, Hey, once you leave that life of fishing, come follow Me. What do they do? We don't know how long it took them, but it seems like they left pretty quickly. Right? The boat didn't come to shore they said bye to their dad and their fishing partners. They get out of the boat and they make their way to Jesus and they start following. Now he's going to talk to them later about considering the cost. You might remember when they said, Jesus, we've left all to follow you. And what did he say? I'll restore this. I'll bless your socks off a hundredfold for people who've left all to follow me. You have no idea what's in store for you when you consider the cost and you count it worthy of your life and you sign the dotted line and you start following Jesus. It just makes sense in light of the gospel of God's grace. My will for thy will. It makes sense in light of the gospel of grace. And I hope that's true for you as well, that it's not, there is a burden to bear, but we bear it lightly in comparison to what we've received. And then submission to Jesus, it's going to bring some clarity and urgency really to the purpose of life. And when Paul says here that my life is nothing. This isn't a statement of discouragement or despair. And we've probably felt that. Maybe you've been there before. My life has no value. 
has no meaning. You may have talked with people who felt like they were at the point of just checking out, like, I add nothing to no one's life. I bring no value to anyone's table. It'd just be better off for me if I wasn't here. And every day, people take their life because that's what they feel. Their life is worth nothing. That is not where Paul is here. He's not at despair. He's not at discouragement. He's not feeling worthless or that he has no value. What he says, in light of what Jesus has done for me and the call in my life, the purpose for me, I'm not going to chase and indulge just the temporary stuff. What good is it? What good is it to chase and enjoy all the pleasure here and forfeit my soul? He said there's no value in that. So my life is worth nothing to me compared to what it is that Jesus is calling me to. And so let's read it again. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And that's the task of testifying to the good news of God's, of God's grace. And so he says here, how many aims does he have? He's got one, right? My only aim. My only aim. What are you trying to get done in life? And what's your schedule look like this week? How many things am I trying to accomplish? Because I feel like it's necessary. Paul says, I've got one aim. I've got one goal. You might remember he wrote to the Philippians. He said something very similar. All right? I want to know Christ. And I haven't reached that mark yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I'm going to press toward what's ahead. Remember that whole passage? Right? He's a guy that's consumed with one goal or one purpose or one aim. You know what you call that? Clarity. This is what life is about. This is why I breathe. This is why I wake up. This is why I travel from this port to this port to this port. This town, town, town. This is why I go publicly and privately from synagogue and temple to house because I'm telling people about Jesus. That's what life is about. That's the mission that he was on. And for any of his disciples, that's the same ride that we're on as well. Now there's hundreds of things, thousands of things we could do with our lives and things that would be somewhat good. But at the end of the day, does it work to complete the one thing? Are we that focused in life or are we just kind of blending in and going along until we get to a point where we're going to retire or whatever we might think the next phase of life looks like for us? Paul has clarity. He's got clarity. And he also says, I'm going to complete or I'm going to finish. Right? So he's got some urgency here. You ever had a project you wanted to finish? Now, I've got a bathroom brace, a basement. I've got a basement bathroom that shows that I was urgent to finish. All the detail work underneath the drywall was right on. And I had like three days before last little pin was going to be delivered. And so I'm hustling to get this thing done. I had to reach the finish line before she showed up because I knew at that point there'd be no time. And so we finished this the night before we went the next morning. Uh, to go have, I say we, to go have a C-section. I was just an observer. Um, but we understand what it means to have a, a finish line in sight, don't you? Whatever that is. If it's like trying to finish a certain grade, sixth grade or high school or trying to finish college or trying to start a business or you've got something in your sights and you want to finish it, right? That brings urgency to your life. That's what gives me the ability to say yes to this and no to other things. Uh, we were talking here this past year. I said, I'm living in such a place right now in my life where it's getting easy for me to say no. Because I'm just, I don't have a whole lot of time. 
So somebody says, hey, let's go do that. No, I can't do that. I don't need to think about it, pray about it. I don't have time to do that. Right? I'm, I'm focused. I am on mission. This is my aim. And for right now, this is what I'm working to get done. So it makes it simple when you have a finish line in sight to say yes after the things that work towards that end and to say no to the things that don't, even some things that may be good. So he's got clarity and then he's got urgency about his purpose, which was to share the good news, testifying. You know, testifying, just like we said, it means share what God has done for me. He'll do the same thing for you about the grace, the goodness of Christ. And so when Paul did that, he found clarity for his life and purpose, and it gave him urgency to what he was doing. That's why he'd go to prison. That's why he'd face hardships, because that was his mission. It doesn't matter. Right? He was resolved to that end. And that's what it takes for you and I this morning to be followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Christ. We've got to consider that cost. And it's costly. Don't cheapen it. All right? When you sign your name on the dotted line, mean it. Just like the men and women who stand there and hold their right hand up and take an oath to serve their country. Right? You and I need to mean that with greater sincerity than anything else that we'll be a disciple of Christ. Consider it. Think of the grace that He's offered to you and make a good decision in light of that. The result then is we're going to live this out with greater clarity, with greater purpose, greater urgency, and all that is for His glory. You know, I came across a quote here, and the author of this quote is unknown, but it fits, I think, with our context today, and we'll close with this quote. And I know this is Memorial Day. This is speaking of a veteran. But this is a description of, of a veteran. And you might think of this as you head into the activities you have today and tomorrow. A veteran, whether active duty, retired, or National Guard or Reserve, is someone who at one point in their life wrote a blank check made payable to the United States of America for an amount of up to and including their life. Do you agree with that? Somewhere they wrote their name on the line willing to lay down their life if that's what was necessary. You know, this week, Thursday, we had a, Friday, had a yard sale, and this guy came by, and he had a hat on, a military hat. And so I asked him you know, what, branch, what branch he was in and when did he serve and things of this nature. And, and so he starts asking me, did you serve? I'm like, no, I didn't serve. You know, I think he was looking for that connection, and you know, there's a connection that those men and women share that uh, it's hard for other people who have not been in that to share. But I said, no, I said, just when I see you, though, it just makes me thankful. And I, said, I understand you served many years ago. I just wanted to tell you thank you for being willing to put your life on the line for what we have here as Americans. And you guys do that as well. But that got me thinking about this quote. And I thought, you know, we could reword this just a little bit to make this fit what it looks like to be a disciple, to be a Christian, a little Christ. And so with just a little alteration, here's what it would say. It says a Christian, not a veteran, but a Christian is someone who at one point in their life wrote a blank check made payable to the Lord Jesus Christ for an amount of up to and including their life. And what I wonder today when you think about that is, have you reached that point? Right, maybe somewhere you were You've received grace and you've received salvation. You've received forgiveness. Have you committed your life then? Have you submitted under Jesus as Lord? 
Maybe today is that day, whatever it looks like for me. Maybe that means there's relationships that you separate from because they're not good for you. Maybe it means people no longer will talk to you or associate with you because you are radically pursuing the mission that is the mission of the church. Maybe it's people no longer want to talk well of you or they think differently of you or they'll demean you. Maybe it means you move. Different part of this city, different part of this planet. Right? Whatever it looks like, it means I'll follow. Right? In the Army, they sign, or the Navy, Air Force, Marines, they sign reserves, Coast Guard, all that. When they sign their name, they belong to that. And you tell me where to go and I'll go. You're my commander. When we sign the dotted line as a disciple of Jesus, that's exactly what it means. Wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you demand of me, I will submit to. Whatever you command me to do, I'll do it. And I'll do this as a grateful recipient of your grace. Have you reached that point yet? You have clarity of purpose about your life. One aim, one focus. I've got to get this done. Are you willing to go ahead and lay aside what I need? I need this out of church, and I need this out of friends, and I need this out of life, and I need this much money, and I need these jobs, and I need this health, and I need... Are you willing just to lay it aside, full bore, pursue Jesus with all you've got? All right? Let's consider the cost because it's worth it. Let's make a good decision. And then I want to challenge you to sign the dotted line, maybe fresh here again today. Lord, with the remainder of life that I have, I want to be spent just sold pursuing your mission, my life for your glory, nothing else. Are you at that point today?